Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with who else? Honestly, at this point, I don't know who do you expect, but it's Nathan. Whoa, it's me. Hello. <laughs> yeah, how you doing, Nathan? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. Recording episode 42. So, some might say, the most important episode. Some might. We are here to answer everything about the universe in one word. What is that mm. word, Nathan? Git. Git. That is correct. Yes, I knew it. Ah. Yeah. If you need right. something from life, go get it. You could do that, yeah. You know? Whatever you need, everything in life can just be answered with git. I'll take your word for that. Yeah. Everything I'll try it tomorrow, actually. It's, it's kind of late in the day to try that out. But tomorrow, mm. given the chance, any challenge I'm presenting with, I'll, I'll just try to get after it. Yeah. You know, get carpe diem tomorrow. I will do it. And I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> so until you had this magic mantra, did you experience anything else that was cool, fun, or frustrating in the past week? All right, man. I've got exclusively cool things Oof. and, of course, a, a wholesome pick. But these are cool, and this is so lame. I just I forgot that this was my first pick uh, for my cool things. I don't know why I thought this was cool, but I wrote it down, and now I have to say it. So uh, today... I went to UPS and because <laughs> they do bulk document shredding, you can pay like a few dollars and they'll shred pounds of documents. So I brought five pounds of documents that I need to get shredded and I just showed up and this was fun too because I walk in and online it had said they do document shredding. And so I was like, well, I don't know that for sure. I'll show up and maybe online was fake news. And I, so I approached the cash, the counter, and I asked him, like, hey, do you do document shredding here? And the lady's very nice. She's like, yep, yeah, you can just put your stuff on the scale. So I did that. She weighed it, paid. Turn around. There's a four-foot by four-foot poster that's like, safe, secure document shredding. I was like, this is, I can't believe I missed this. It's the whole point of this. And then as I'm approaching the door when I'm leaving, there's just signs everywhere that just says document shredding, secure document. I'm like, you would think that's the main purpose of the building <laughs> as opposed to shipping packages. So I felt a bit dumb afterwards, but the leggy was very nice and it was a good experience because I didn't have to then pass, like I said, pounds and pounds of documents through a shredder that I would find somewhere because I don't have one mm. so I have to acquire a shredder and then and then do that but uh, yeah I was cleaning up a bunch of old tax documents and stuff I'd kept around and I'd gotten the original packet of it from my mom before I'd moved like years ago and so some of it went all the way back to 2006 and I went this is not stuff I need let's shred this so I did and that was very cool because I didn't have to do it. I just pay somebody a few bucks and now it's done. Uh, unsurprisingly. I can't, I can't believe that's the cool thing. You know, when you were talking about it, I thought the cool thing was that you got to shred a bunch of stuff, which is really fun. But you were no. like, no, nah, I just paid somebody. Yeah. Uh, and they shredded. That's it. why I'm embarrassed. <laughs> but also, But also, legitimately, I did think it was cool that this is a service. All right. Because I was trying to find... I was trying to find document shredding online and it was all for corporations where they're like, we'll send a truck 
mm. and you can load it up or you can uh, have it done some other way. And I was like, I don't, I don't have like filing cabinets worth of stuff. I'm not a company. I just need to go somewhere with a little bag of paper and ask them to shred it. And it turns out UPS does that. So there's your first bit of value on episode 42. You can, uh, you can go to UPS. You too can go to UPS and get something shredded. It's not just for, for fancy folks like me. But unsurprisingly, <clears throat> second cool thing, Rocket League. Wow. Did, got an was up, not expecting that. Wow. Got, got an update this morning. <laughs> and the, the, the part that was not cool was that it was over two gigabytes and I had to wait for that to download while I didn't get to play in the morning. I was like, this is a bummer. Um, but that prompted me to actually enable background updates for my games on my console. So now that won't be a problem going forward. But anyway, the update was for free play, which is like just a training area where you're not in a match. You're just in on the field with a ball and you just drive around. And <clears throat> I don't know if it's a mod or something, but PC players have had the option for a long time to press a button and then the ball will just sit on top of their car like respawn attention on top of their car or do a various other things. And that was the update, but I didn't know the update was coming. And one of the buttons that uh, you can press causes the ball to just shoot towards the net. It's called defend the ball or defend the net. And I had that bound to the, it, the default is bound to the left bumper. And so for me, left bumper is power slide, which you do constantly and so i log into free play where the ball has never before moved and i'm approach i'm driving towards the ball and then it just flies over my head and i was like what just happened this is super glitchy what is going on and then i'm driving towards the ball again later and i go to hit it and it just takes off behind me and then i spin around to chase it and it takes off towards the net and just goes in and i was like what what magic is this is did I, um, is there like a phantom player that is somehow in this arena? No, that wouldn't make sense. Cause clearly if I don't move, the ball doesn't move. And then I eventually figured it out that there was these automatic commands and they'd just been bound to a command that I already used. So I was like, aha, I will fix that. And it's great. Super fun. Had a good time with it once I figured out that it wasn't sorcery or glitches. It was just the way it's supposed to be done. And then the other cool thing is the new Rocket League season starts in nine days. So I'm pretty wow. excited. The wow, wholesome wow, thing, wow, though, wow. yeah, bu <laughs> building on last week's mention of something to do with Tim Minching. Oh, Tim Minching in, as Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar was one of the in interesting things. <laughs> Your reaction every time <laughs> I say Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, He's in the wholesome pick for this week because he wrote all the music for a musical called Matilda. And he's written music for other musicals as well. But Matilda is super wholesome. And actually one of our mutual friends was in a version of Matilda, which I got tickets to because she was nice and gave me a ticket. So I got to go see it and it was, it was very good. But the original cast recording is on Spotify. So you can see it there. And also there are a bunch of videos of Tim performing various songs from it. Uh, it's, it's the definite wholesome pick. Uh, 
if you want something less wholesome but probably better songs, the musical he made for Groundhog Day, just just listening to the soundtrack, which is also on Spotify, is very easy. I just put it on in the background sometimes. It's just feel-good music. Again, you have to be a musical nerd like me to, to like it as much as I do. But it's pretty good, so I'm a fan. And, uh, and that's it. What about you? Damn. Um... Nothing. Nothing is. Cool nothing that, that can stand up to document shredding. <laughs> uh, I, I, unfortunately, not. Um, from personal life perspective, a uh, cool thing that happened was a really close friend of mine got married, so I got to wear a suit in like. Since the pandemic started, uh, really, uh, generally I only wear suits like once a year on some holiday party, but. Last year, my Christmas holiday party from my work was they sent us a bunch of booze and food at home, and we consumed it. So, did not suit up for that. Uh, so, that was kind of nice and fun. It was also reaffirming or sort of, I guess, an ego boost uh, to put on the suit after, like, ever since since I got it tailored to now, uh, I have gained a bunch of muscle mass on my bicep. I would say it's fat on my other parts of the body, but on the bicep, it's pretty hard to gain fat or just have fat there. Uh, so it was pretty nice because I was like, oh, the suit's tight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Having a suit is tight. Having a suit is tight. Uh, yeah, but the, the wedding was great. Uh, it was small, uh, nice little ceremony. I was the MC, so I cracked some jokes, told some stories. Uh, so it was fun. And I, I messed up quite a bit here and there, but the theme of the wedding was just, you know, it's all good sort of thing. Because they planned an entire wedding in like two weeks. So I was like, well, if they can do it, I'll be rough with my announcements and you all have to deal with it. And they were like, cool. So I was like, cool, this is good. I don't have to be a professional because I was not one and I've never emceed before. So that was fun. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then I rewatched Doctor Strange yesterday. Uh, for some reason, I just felt like watching something Marvel, and I still enjoy that movie. Many parts of it. Uh, the theme I've noticed with rewatching Marvel movies now, I just pick my favorite scenes in each, and then I just skip the rest of the movie, because <laughs> in all of those movies, there's many things you can just be like, yeah, okay, uh, these are just time fillers. I don't, I don't really need this. Um, yeah, but I really enjoy Doctor Strange for some reason. I guess weird mystical magic and things um yeah and then from technology perspective i learned about a new aws service surprise surprise uh it's called cdk i think it's like cloud development kit or something mm. um which is essentially cloud formation on steroids which was really cool so you can write your cdk kits using typescript java python ruby i think they have a couple of different ones and you Basically, then you, you're saying what resources you want created, uh, and then they, that will generate cloud formation templates in the background for you to execute on. So hmm. I found that really cool because previously, if I want to create a, just a simple WordPress deployment, I need a whole cloud formation template of setting up the VPC, setting up the subnets, making sure the database is in the right place, setting a load balancer, DNS, blah, blah, blah. With CDK, it's like 
yes, ec2.vpc, give me these many, one public, one private, which is what I always thought CloudFormation should be as just YAML, like Docker Compose of mm-hmm. this element, give me this, which is sometimes asking too much, I get, because CloudFormation was meant at the time and infrastructure as a code was still sort of new and they were they really just wanted you to make a billion of these AWS services all through a bunch of JSON. And they gave you a lot of uh, control over it. But having a code is really good because you can dynamically, then based on what the application needs, generate different sets of CloudFormation templates and have different instance types and not have to go through any UI because that's one of the things with CloudFormation when you need it to generate the template, template out the values, do that. With code, it's more maintainable, readable, reviews, all that. Um, so it was really cool. Once I actually get to use it a lot more, I'm sure we'll do a little episode on everything that is good about it. But mm-hmm. it was just really interesting to see something like that existed because I've been wanting that for a while. Yeah, I'm super curious about it. Yeah. Because I'm just imagining, because I'm not knowing anything other than what you just said. I, I think I've heard the name before, but I, I might have just read it in one of the AWS developer course preparation guide, like rubrics. Um, but I don't know anything else about it. But I'm imagining if you've got something like TypeScript that can say, these are all the uh, po- possible options, or these are the types of values you could have, that could provide a lot of good structure that you would need to be less familiar with all the systems involved and still be able to generate valid templates because otherwise like you can just punch anything into a yaml file and who's to say that it's right but if typescript is yelling at you saying that's not a valid option for this thing you're trying to build you can be like oh i found out at write time instead of at runtime this is great and you get ide support uh you get tests you can write against it now and uh, to be a true full stack developer, you don't need to learn anything but JavaScript anymore. Whoa, no. You can do DevOps I take it all in back. JavaScript. <laughs> I take it all back. We're, everything needs to be Helm templates or customized. <laughs> but yeah. I guess one thing I do like about it that people don't have to write like bash or other command line scripts to maintain and swap out values on these static files. It's code, so it'll be much more nicer and easier and something they're more familiar with. Uh, but yes, when I when I saw it has TypeScript support, that was my first instinct. I was like, oh no. So now your front end, back end, and your deployment will use the same types. Yeah, yeah. I don't love that. Does, it, does the code, do you know enough about it to know if the code reads deterministically still, or does it become somewhat imperative? don't know enough to answer that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just saw the overview and I saw a sample project that we have running some of our pipelines on the team. And I asked someone, I was like, how does this work? And they're like, oh, it, it doesn't. And I was like, what? It's like, yeah, this was too overkill. So we built something else, but this was a cool proof of concept. Uh, and then I learned that, yeah, it was overkill for like three YAML files that needed for simple cloud formation templates. They're like, yeah, we'll build an entire CDK around this. Um, but I don't know. I would have still preferred, even if it was a simple 
anytime you have a higher level of abstraction, you should probably switch to that if it's more type safe. Yes, TypeScript exists and I can make a simple JavaScript hello world, but I'll still prefer TypeScript so I can have type safety. Uh, but yeah. Anyways, too much, too much about a topic that is not covered in the episode. Uh, well, it can yeah. be. This is our show. We can do whatever we want. That's very true. And it's still tech focused. So it has that hashtag value. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah. And then in video games, uh, I still, I'll, I love this game way too much now. It's my favorite VR game. It's called Pistol Whip or Whip, if you would prefer that. Pistol Whip. Pistol Whip. And uh, yeah, I just feel like John Wick every time I play it. It's so good. So good. Uh, the music is good, the action, the time villains pop up, and yeah, and then you have the gun. Um, it Every time I go into it, it takes me a little while because the world is moving around you, and they do it so that you don't feel motion sickness or whatever and try to move yourself. Um, but yeah, the first 30 seconds or 10 seconds are very disorienting, uh, but then I just don't want to leave. I just want to like keep shooting all this bad bad folks and yeah and then i played i also started playing the 11 or 11 table tennis um which is very very realistic on how like how generally if i actually had a paddle in my hand how much force i would apply based on how fast the ball is coming uh which was crazy good and the bot beat my ass really badly over and over uh, <laughs> on easy difficulty. I, I won like two rounds out of 12. Uh, but today was the first time playing it. So hopefully over time I get, get good at it. Well, to quote a guy I knew in high school, I got tired of chess beating me or, or tired of losing the computer in chess. So I'm going to invent artificial stupidity. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So you just need to do that. Hmm. Except for tennis. I can do it. Artificial uh, lack of athleticism. I can do it. I, can, I just have to channel my consciousness into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then lack of athleticism will be natural. It's emergent. An emergent property of the system is a lack of getting good. Yeah. Unlike get itself. Which, honestly, is probably the most important tool that I use. We were talking about this a little bit before the show. Yeah. Honestly, God was just like, the world of software development needs one messiah. And it was like, here's Linus. And he comes over and he's just like, here's Linux, here's Git. He was just like, all right, we need to, we need to really max out this guy's stats. <laughs> like, how about just one stat? We'll turn down personality, turn down charm, turn down charisma, turn down speech. Uh, bartering all the way down, intelligence all the way up, <laughs> and send him out into the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he. we've already talked too much about Linux on a Linux episode, so go listen to that if you want to hear us just being like, oh my god, Linus is so great. Uh, <laughs> he also gave us Git, which is, out of, after using a couple different version control systems, is still my favorite. It's It's just good. Um, it's good. Yeah, it's it's got some some of its downfall and stuff. But before we get into anything, Nathan, what is Git? How would you describe it? Uh, the basics of it, it's what's called a version control or source control uh, solution. So it 
is used by a lot of platforms that you're probably familiar with, like GitHub or GitLab. And it does, a, essentially it provides diffing that allows you to combine various people's changes in a sane way. So if I'm working on one part of a code base, someone else is working on another part, and it can it, it will detect that there are no collisions because those two things are totally separate, and then you're able to combine them together in such a way that you have a version history of your file, of your system. And it also provides a bunch of functionality around like, I can't resolve whose changes are the most recent or these changes are in conflict. And then there's essentially just a panic mode where it says like, these are my two options, tell me which ones they are. Uh, so a, a super broad level as far as like, empirically speaking, that's what you'll experience working with Git. And then under the hood, there's just way, way too much stuff that I have no idea how it actually works. Um, but observably, that's what Git is. Yeah, I mean, why, why would, why do I even need it? Why can't I just duplicate my directories? Sure. And then just, you know. So yeah, so I suppose the problem it solves would be if, if you and I were working on a project and we didn't have something like version control, then what I might do is upload my version of the code and it's running and all is well. And then you want to make a change, but at the same time, I'm also making a change. And then if you upload like all of your code and it's in conflict with my code, and then I upload my code and it removes your code because it doesn't contain your code, it's hard to know how to combine all those things, how to keep track of who, you, who is using what. And quite frankly, this was never a problem I had to address because Git was just a thing by the time I was working with other people. So I didn't really have to worry about it. It was matured, built into something like GitHub, and that's pretty much what I've used. But I've heard heard stories, heard legends of people just like FTPing files up and somebody else has to FTP up other files and they have to say like, I'm the one using development right now. Don't override all my changes with your changes, that sort of thing. So it allows people to work together and collaborate on code with fewer issues. Yeah, fewer issues in the app and between them. Because honestly, if somebody overwrote my code while I was working on it, I'd not be a happy patron. No, I imagine yeah. you wouldn't be. Uh, one of the biggest uh, things that I always like to point out every time I'm talking about Git, or to somebody who doesn't know much about Git. Right, every day uh, when you talk about Git. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> every uh, morning. <laughs> Git and GitHub are not the same thing. Just want to make sure that that's very clear. They're not even the same company. They have nothing really to do with each other in terms of business, business model, and their applications. Very different applications between the two softwares. And one is a software, one is a company. And yeah, GitHub has its own whole suite of softwares. But the best analogy I read on the internet was the, the difference between Git and GitHub is the difference between porn and Pornhub. <laughs> one Same, yeah yeah it's essentially, i get it yeah <laughs> it just it just makes sense one one is the software other is a place where all that software goes mm -hmm. and many copies and many variations of it exists um but yeah so and uh, git is not the only one version control as a concept is gets used by many different softwares we just tend to talk about git more and the world adopts it more because it's 
really quick, uh, easily manageable with CLI, the visualization and GitHub actually popularized it quite a lot more than other version controls had the chance because everybody's choice of open source ends up being GitHub and then you have Git for that. Um, there's also SVN uh, that I've used, did not like it. Uh, you have to use the Explorer view and the folder on it and it essentially feels like you're just creating different copies of your code and instead of having some sort of delta between the changes you have duplicated copies of folders and then when you're merging the folders SVN figures out where the differences are. Oh. Yeah, it's not fun, not even a little bit fun. Uh, and then like diffing between the two is also like sometimes a nightmare. Um, yeah, not a fan. Uh, there's also something called CVS, uh, which luckily I've never had to use. Uh, online, it also looks like it's not very preferred, but whatever, there's also Mercurial, which is very famous. I don't know the use case. Uh, the only big use cases I've seen is you use SVN because your company's been using SVN before Git was invented. You use Git because you are good at whatever you do and you don't hate life. And you use Perforce, which is also very famous. Uh, and it's really good at handling large files in your version control. So Git, if it gets, if the history gets too long or even once, even once you accidentally committed a really big file and it made it to your remote server, even if you delete it, unless you go find that individual commit and remove it, all your Git clones, anytime you try to fetch the repository, will be extremely slow, and just just don't do it. You know, if you if you're doing it, get get help, uh, and like and don't commit your node modules, folks. Yes. Oh. Oof. Yes. Yeah. Don't do that, because that'll <laughs> make everybody sad involved in every process of that life cycle. Uh, but yeah, Perforce generally I've seen used by big gaming companies or media companies where they need the diff between large binary blob files. And uh, it's really fast because it has some sort of parallelization and how it chunks the files differently. So for large files, Perforce is excellent. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get into some things you can do with Git? Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so the the main use of Git in my day to day is with managing, first of all, separate environments. So on my current team, we've got a development environment, a QA environment, and a production environment. Staging exists, but it's we don't we pretend it doesn't exist, and. And so what we have set up is our uh, CI pipelines will be associated with a given branch at a given time. So if we have an upcoming release that's currently getting a test pass, we can point the, the we can say to the CI pipeline, listen for changes to this Git branch. And we'll say like release, you know, V13R1. And then if we have another branch that's like our development branch, that's going to be the next release, we'll say, all right, development environment, listen for changes to V13 or V14 R1. And so that way, if you're working on something that's going into the next release, you know you should base your changes off of the 
branch that's currently associated with the QA environment. And if you're doing something for the subsequent release, you will, so like in development work, you will be pointing it at the development branch. And <clears throat> that if, I don't know how you would get into a Git-based podcast without knowing these sorts of basics, but there are things called branches. Maybe uh, that's why they're here to learn, Nathan. Sure, yeah. Teach them. Okay, so there is there's a there are a bunch of pro- approaches to developing and managing your Git, uh, but the basic is that you'll always have a trunk branch, and so everything's going to eventually wind up back in the trunk branch, and that will be called master or main, depending on what year you're in and what when the branch was or the repo was originally created, and the point is I'm just going to call that trunk for simplicity. And so you will cut a new branch off of that. And all that, all a branch is, it's just kind of like a ledger of all the changes that have ever happened. And so every time that there is a set of changes that you want to commit, you create a commit. And that groups all the changes together, creates a hash out of it. And that the latest commit on the branch is referred to as the head. And so you'll, when you cut a branch, you'll create a new a, a new path alongside the trunk with your own series of series of commits. And then when you want to combine your changes backing with the trunk, you need to reconcile any conflicts that have been built up. Hopefully there are none and then gets merged back in. And there are obviously a bunch of different approaches to doing that. Simply speaking though, you can just think of it as you've got two streams. There's like a primary stream. You have your own little separate stream. You make some changes and eventually they join back up. And now everything is all in one path again. Uh, and so the, what, what I just described was having a few different active branches for different purposes. And it just allows us to group work. But the basics of that is say that I picked up a ticket and it was associated with release A. And I say, all right, I will check out that release, which means get the current head of that branch and pull it onto my machine for development work. And so I check out that release branch um, onto my machine. I can then cut a new branch of my own for that feature or ticket I'm going to work on, name it whatever convention makes sense for your team, do my changes, and then I will create a pull request that points at that original release branch that I cut off of. And so the key there is that I'm cutting off of a branch and targeting that branch again as my merge target. I'm not cutting off of one branch and then merging into a different one because then I'm pulling all of the diff, all the changes that have happened since that new release or that new branch was cut, as well as all my changes, because it's all one big path at that point. Um, and so anyway, merge back in, or I'll have a PR open, and that's essentially saying it's in GitHub speak, that is a pull request, and it's just saying, hello, everybody, I would like to combine my changes with what's currently in this branch. And most teams will probably have some sort of required approval. So you need somebody else to look at your changes and it'll just be the difference between what was on the release branch in this case and what was on my branch. And so it'll have a bunch of files, all the changes that I made. Um, Git or GitHub has a really nice diffing UI, um, but you can also see this sort of thing in the terminal. So you can just do like git diff and it'll show all the diff that you've made since the last commit. And you can diff two branches, which I do a lot. So if I've, say, merged in the latest 
the, the latest version of the branch that I branched off of. I'll just do a quick check locally and just be like, get diff, and then in this case, like release A or whatever. And it'll show me, all right, this is what Git sees as the difference between the current state of my branch and the current state of the release branch. And so it allows you to keep track of what everybody else will see. Because if you've done anything fancy, if you've done any rebasing, where you're essentially pulling in changes and then sticking yours back on top versus merge commits that just creates a new commit and slaps all the changes in uh, more or less alongside your changes, then they're, they're different strategies and you can sometimes wind up with confusing commits, especially if somebody else squash merged and suddenly uh, your commits uh, include like 60 other commits from some other people because the commits are no longer the same because the squash merge combined them all together and they don't exist in the base branch. So there's a lot of things that can happen. So just keeping an eye on the diff is, is useful. But honestly, there's, it's a pretty simple flow for the most part. I use like five different Git tools consistently or like commands consistently. And then the rest of it is those one-offs um, where I'm like, oh crap, I have to Git cherry pick this one commit because we put it in the wrong branch. It's just easier to do that rather than rewrite it. That sort of thing. What about yeah. you? I've never had to use Git cherry pick and I'm very grateful for it. I understand the concept. I read about it. I was ready for it in case something bad happens. Yeah. And I was the I was the release manager for a year, so I had to do some Git cherry picking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very, very happy about that. And yeah, that's an excellent overview. Git has, there's a bunch of code. You create branches on saying, these are my variations on this code. And then you go back to it and say, can I merge this in so that everybody else can also have my changes? Uh, one thing I do want to mention, of any time you mention clone or the pull request or you open it, uh, the big confusion people generally have is whatever's on GitHub or whatever they're seeing is not the same as their local. So the big distinction there is the Git on your computer and the Git on the remote is different they will have different things in them based on how much in sync they are. Uh, the rule of thumb is whatever's on the server should be the source of truth. And then whatever's on changes you've done on your machine, make sure they make it to the remote in a proper way. Don't just git push origin main because uh, people would not be very happy about it. Uh, you probably don't even have access. Hopefully they've, whoever your DevOps guy was set that up. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, opening up proper pull requests against them, and then every time your changes make it to the remote, make sure you sync up locally. Um, yeah, I have this like workflow of four commands that how I run every single time I do git. It'll be like git branch uh, and follow the main line or whatever my target release branch is. Uh, do whatever I'm doing, git add, git commit, Git pull origin rebase so I can get any changes anybody else has made. Always, I always rebase uh, and then git push to my branch. Every single time, these four commands in succession, no, no other problems in there. Um, unless there's a merge conflict and then I have to figure out what has changed if somebody else changed it, which also, who called it merge conflict and not commitment issues? You know? <laughs> um, just missed opportunity, I find. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is surprising because software development as an industry likes to do those sorts of naming conventions. Yeah. 
maybe Linus just didn't know about commitment Commit. issues. Yeah. He's just so committed to his craft, never had any issues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then yeah, Git also has this concept of releases where you can have branches with different release names or releases uh, in form of tags. Tags are slightly different than branches because tags can live freely wherever they want, however they want, um, based on whatever branch you create them on. Uh, so tags are tied to commits, and so whatever commit, wherever it exists in your entire tree, uh, tag will just refer to it and be like, okay, this is my boy, this is my nickname that I've been given to this commit, and this is where I forever stay. Yeah, tags are sick. Oh, so good, right? Instead of having a different branch for each release or something, you know, you just create the tag, delete the branch, get it over with. Uh, this is the commit. If anybody wants something else, it's a new release. It's a new tag. Yeah, my my DevOps guy, uh, he protected the release branches, so I can't destroy them. Good. Um, so we just we just have infinite number of growing release branches, despite the fact that we all agreed we would use tags. Uh, uh, so we have both. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> um, Classic startup team strats. <laughs> Just do both. Why not both? Um, what are some of your favorite uh, Git commands? Do you oh, have any? Favorite Git commands. Well, this one shouldn't be a favorite, but I do like it. Um, git reset soft head. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's funny for one, and it's so nice because sometimes I just don't want to bother with Git stash. Um, if I actually just have something that's very much work in progress, I'll just do git commit dash m work in progress, slam it into a work in progress commit on that branch so I can fully move over, work on something else for a while if I know that I just need to abandon that for a couple days. And then when I get back to it, I can just check the... Um, Check the most recent commit, remind myself, oh yeah, it was just a work in progress commit. Git commit dash dash soft head little hat. And then it just, it basically just uncommits the last thing and leaves it as staged files. And then I can look at it and be like, oh, this is what I was in the middle of doing. Right. That, that makes sense. Uh, I'll do that. So if I, usually if I'm switching between branches, I'll just do a quick stash. Uh, if I know I'm going back to it, like if I just need to show somebody else something on another branch, but if I'm going to be away from it for a while, I just feel a bit safer not dealing with stash and then popping it off the out of the stash and being concerned that I might have messed something up. So I'd rather just throw it into a temporary commit, not push it and, and get back to it. Uh, another yeah, thing that- That's actually like really smart because I, I abuse stash quite a bit. But if you are committing, realistically, you could also just push it to a branch that you have on the remote in case your computer gets wiped the next day. Yep, you know? could do that. Yeah, real smart, real smart. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, another thing I have, it's not a direct commit, but I made a little alias um, in my one of my bash, or I think it's a bash alias file, but I've got one that just has like a, it, it's a simple processor, but it allows me to just write commits and then a number and it just spits out the commit hash and then the commit like subject line. Um, and so it's really easy to read. It's essentially a parsed version of git log. 
Um, and then I can say how many I want. So I can say like get five and it'll just show me the five most recent commits, their hashes, their names, and that's it. Uh, and so I'll use that quite a bit just to see like if I'm comparing two branches and be like, do I, do these make, do these line up if I'm trying to figure out why there's a weird, um, like div history or something like, all right, well, did I properly rebase this? Like this one has all these, this one has all these. And it's just nice looking at two hash lists side by side. And you're like, yeah, these line up um, versus the git log, which is very busy. Um, so uh, I think there's a dash, like a pretty flag, pretty print flag, something like that, that the little alias I wrote actually uses. Um, and that does a log of that, but then I just parse it out so I can also pass in a number. So that works well. I like having that. And I got to be honest, I wish I liked rebasing, but I've had to do a few interactive rebases that were just not a good time. And so I haven't done it. The, a, I should say it this way, a large enough portion of my rebasing time due to not rebasing often has been a pain that it's still a largely negative association in my head versus just going with the merge squash merge approach. Yeah. Now I, I find rebasing is perfect, awesome, only you do it all the time. If you're always rebasing and if you're lucky everybody else on your team is also always rebasing chef's kiss so good you'll always have just one squash town commits no merges from other people's no those little commits of i merged this other branch none of that it's just yours and it's all good it's it's clean i love it uh but yeah anytime mm. somebody else doesn't or one time i forget to had the rebase flag uh, yeah, next time I pull in, it's not fun. Yeah, it is nice. The, the way that I do it with a team that's not super comfortable with Git has worked well, where it's like I push all of my stuff up to my branch. In my PR might have like 42 commits by the time it's done. It's just a big old mess. I've been merging in the base branch a bunch. But when I squash merge that in, I just make sure I copy and paste my description into the commit message. I've got a nice clear title so that then when you skim through it, like if everybody was to do that and I do enough of the tickets in the same repos that it starts to look this way, that when you do like release versus master, you'll just see like ticket number description. And if you want details, you can just check the commit message and it'll be like, this was the description of the PR. And then the next commit is literally just another ticket number and description. And so it ends up working out the same sort of way, except that uh, if somebody has a really sloppy commit practice, it's easy to just be like, all right, squash merge that away. And it's one commit. We don't have to worry about it um, versus, versus worrying about them rebasing and messing everything up because people do have a tendency to do that with rebasing compared to just pulling in the base branch. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I've just had to deal with that so many and then you get and I did it early enough in my career that I would like sometimes take it personally. I'd be like, Oh, now the developed branch doesn't have nice clean commits. I remember you saying that. Yeah. I hated it. <laughs> uh because someone doesn't want to rebase because they're too lazy to click a little button on GitHub. Ugh. Um, whatever. No names will be said. 
people started with J. Um, yeah, so I'll talk about, I guess, my... I already said stash. Love it. I use it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'll just be like, oh, let me try these things out. Or I use get stash obsessively when I have something working. And then I'll be like, okay, let me see how much I can clean this up or refactor something out. And then I do it, and then things stop working. And I'm like, all right, let's let's pop the stash. Let's take the stash away here. See, see if it still works with my changes, without my changes, so I can make sure it's something I did and not an external uh, thing. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm the one who messed up, so let's, let's fix this. Uh, and then I'll pop the stash back again, go through all my changes, do a diff uh, with the existing one, and then see what's going wrong. Um, hmm. Yeah, and so, yeah, then the next one is git diff. Use it all the time on my CLI. You can see the little difference. Oh, pl- using grep on there too to find something you're looking for. Do a, If you haven't done this before, folks, I've commented uh, about this before where I leave like fix me and to do comments everywhere as I'm working. Git diff, pipe it to a grep with your to do or your fix me. You're like, oh, I missed these. Or console log if you're someone who console logs stuff or prints stuff. You can just find those before you push them up. And then your teammates don't have to make fun of you for being like, hey, you missed this. Or yeah. you, you console logged out that. <laughs> what a guy. Yeah. Or you can, you know, uh, be a normal person who doesn't use Vim. And when you use a text editor, you can just search through the project for to-dos. And it's there. Oh, I'm a sweet summer child. You think that I'm the only one adding to-dos and uh, I... Oh, that's true. Then it shows you everyone's... Yes, I've, I've had to give up on that because, yeah, oh. it's like, you you have 38 results. I'm like, I don't think most of these are mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then never mind. I take my, my criticism back. Good, um, yeah. And on the topic of, you know, having people you don't enjoy, people who will ruin your code base, get blame. What a, what a wonderful command. Who who committed this? And then it turns out it's you, which is really disappointing at times. Uh, but most of the time, yeah, get blame. I just like I need the author of this commit so I can go find them. And you know what's excellent is when a file is moved or renamed and it does renamed without changes and retains the history. That's so nice because uh, you would you would almost think it was it was moved from here to here and you would just see that commit as, oh, that person who moved it has now changed that entire file, but it's smart enough to not do that, which is lovely. Yeah, more for reason to use Git, folks. Gotta get good. Yeah, also PyCharm, because uh, that's the ID that I've been asked to use at work. Um, it has an option where you can do Git, the Git blame, and then it shows a list of everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you can click on that and it'll give you the commit and you can actually just directly click a button that says view on GitHub and it'll bring you to that commit in GitHub, which usually has a link to the associated PR if they create a PR. So it's a great way to be like, what was this person doing? And unfortunately, if you're going back too far, they probably didn't document it well enough to explain your current problem. But... If, you listen, if they listened, I should say, to our documentation episode, they would know that that was going to happen in the future for either, either to them or uh, like to themselves in the future or to another team member at some point, and they would have done a good job with their documentation. Yeah. So tell your friends to listen to our other episodes. Do it, yeah. 
do better and get everybody else to do better as well. That's right. Um, so you got, so you got what? Stash, diff. And blame. And blame. Yeah. My three favorite commands that I use out of normal git usage. Mm. Yeah. You know, pull, push, commit. Pff, everybody likes those. <laughs> got to find what makes you different. Right. Yeah. <laughs> those are the commits that spark joy. Or the commands that spark joy. Yeah. But yeah, I can't, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, I, I, I guess this should have been like mentioned early on and it probably doesn't matter much. Uh, but one of the great things Git does really well is maintaining atomicity. It's atomicity. Uh, so it, it has a really good way of knowing when you do the commit to a certain branch, it makes sure, you know, your changes are there and everybody else sees those as the way they are. So if two people are trying to push to the main at the same time, if there are different problems, it'll make sure only one of them sort of goes through and the other one gets blocked. It won't try to just merge them in at the same time and freak out, which is really handy because if you work at a startup and everybody's just git push dash u origin main every time they make a change for some reason uh, because you're all ch chilling in the basement, uh, then that could be bad and git ensures it protects you against that where it'll be like, oh no, what change came literally half a second ago uh, that did something that you shouldn't be doing now or your branch is not up to date with the the trunk, make sure you pull in the changes before you do anything nonsensical. Yeah. I had something come up that rarely comes up the other day where a successful flawless merge actually introduced a runtime exception and so I had a, uh, I had introduced a new feature flag in this one release branch. And then I was working on the work to remove that feature flag as like the cleanup. So essentially we have uh, this feature called bulk editing for bulk editing users. And I wanted to refactor a bunch of it. So I introduced this new flag that split the logic and said like, all right, if the flag's on, do this, otherwise do the existing behavior. And then I wanted to, while my, mind was still fresh with all of it, go in there and just remove the old behavior in a separate commit or a separate PR, open that up, have a, a branch for it. And that way, once that gets merged and, or yeah, once that gets out and deployed and turned on, we were happy with it. It's easy to just be like, all right, next, the subsequent release, we'll just clean that all up right away. Uh, but what happened was this was part of why I did it as well was I wanted to see if anything was, I had missed anything in migrating from the old behavior to the new. And so when I removed all the old behavior, I had uh, a test that was fail or that was passing, but that I hadn't rewritten that test to have both the uh, flag on and flag off because it was an existing test. So I'd written my new tests to make sure, all right, with the flag on, does all the stuff work? But there was this one like niche test I hadn't rewritten. And so I had to add an if statement to one of the old uh, uh, blocks, but it also meant adding a new commit to the release branch that used the flag. And so the, when I ended up merging that in, I hadn't touched that in the branch that deleted it, um, that deleted the flag completely. So it just smoothly merged in, like I hadn't touched that line before. So it m smoothly merged in. Now there's a new reference to this flag that the whole purpose of this PR was to remove it. And so 
this branch existed to remove the flag, but it, since that had happened, a commit to the trunk branch had introduced a new use of that flag. And so, yeah, it just smoothly merged in. And then I go to run it through Jenkins and Jenkins is like, uh, unknown variable. What is this? Can't do it. And then I decided to go in and fix it. But, uh, it was one of those rare instances where I went, Oh yeah, get did what it's supposed to do. And, uh, it just said this was the most recent commit. Makes sense. I will pull that in, and then uh, it didn't. It, it didn't do the thing I wanted. Hmm. So the future is Git also parsing through your application and business logic, and just be like, hmm, I don't know if this code change makes sense. Yeah. 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 Hey, if it could do that, I wouldn't need to have my job anymore. Hmm. I mean, is it any important right now? Do you do much work, anyways? <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's very important. I do important work. <laughs> going back to Git. Uh, but yeah, that, that's everything I wanted to talk about as sort of an overview of Git in case you haven't used it before, or you're pretty new to it, and learning all about the things you can do with it. Yeah, I would say my main takeaway is get comfortable with it as quickly as you can and actually try to understand the... If you don't need to understand how it's doing what it's doing necessarily, but understand why things are happening when they're happening. So like the principle behind what it's doing more so than the implementation detail. But if you get like three years into your de your developer career and you're still having issues rebasing a branch that has no conflicts. You're just like scared to do it or something like that's That doesn't inspire confidence for your team members who have to then deal with your crappy commit history. So just get it sorted. Just rule that out as an entire set of problems. And you, the only time you think about Git is when something's going horribly wrong and otherwise it shouldn't happen. Like I haven't had a real Git issue. I don't think in a couple years because you just do things normally and it all works fine. If somebody's going to do a project refactor, make sure they communicate that with the team so that everybody's not still working on stuff in those in those files. But other than that, like just communicate with each other, make sure everybody knows not to stomp on each other's work, and then you don't run into issues. So just know how your tools work. Yeah. Do better. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Also, actually, one last point. Uh, what I found excellent was the Git... Uh, tutorials or documentation by Atlassian was a lot more helpful for me than like the OG Git documentation because mm. the Atlassian one always has these little diagrams describing the flow um, hmm. which made Git and Rebase and all these magical things understand much easier and th this was like three or four years ago that I was consulting those quite a bit uh, so there might even be better resources now but in case there aren't, rely on Atlassian because one thing they like to do is document pretty much everything. Well, at least they can do something well. Yeah, from your Jira tickets to your <laughs> Confluence, it all, it all, it's all Atlassian. It always was. <laughs> it's just Atlassian all the way down. All right. What, Gan, did you do better? Mm. What are you going to do better? Well, uh, I restarted journaling. Okay. Did uh, you decide on, on digital or 
not. It's it's digital for now. Okay. I can't seem to bring myself to use a pen and paper. Also, if I'm like sitting at the so now what I'm doing instead of journaling at the end of the night or something, I'm tying it to a habit. So I'm just gonna do it when I do stretches at the gym. Because every time mm. I do a stretch, I take a little, you know, whatever ten second break before I do my next one. Uh, and I've heard habits are more likely to be successful habits if you tie them to another already established successful habit. Uh, so now that my stretching routine is pretty fixed and it happens before every workout, somehow my injuries are way less. Surprise, surprise, who knew that would happen? Uh, I have now tied journaling to it and so I don't have to carry my notebook, pen and paper or have the gym bro, you know, read my personal thoughts. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I use my app on the phone. I like it. And what, another thing I'm doing with it is instead of just journaling in the day or at night, anytime there's a little thought or anything, I'm like, yeah, I should note that. I'll just note that right away. And instead of reflecting at the end of the night, I like to keep my mind empty so I can sleep well and stuff. I'll reflect on the day before while I'm stretching. So then when I'm making notes, it's for the day before. And then I'll start something for the day off of any random thoughts I want to have. Or the or like the note is generally yesterday was like this. The, these are the things that happened. Today I want to focus on this. And then the note ends. And then usually I don't have much uh, during the day. And then yeah, next day then I'm like, all right, did I sort of do what I was wanted to do? No, yes, how did I feel? All that nonsense. Um, so yeah, it's been pretty good so far. I don't know if I can officially even call it a habit. It's only been like four days, I think, uh, since I started doing it. Uh, but I hope it continues because for some reason it does make my brain feel a little lighter because stuff has come out of it and onto some other place. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy how human minds work. Um, nothing else that I've started doing better. Uh, I... Yeah, I, I've stopped looking at my social media as much, uh, but it's only been two days, so I'm, I'm going to continue doing that, um, not spend as much time on Insta or whatever, and when I wake up the first thing in the morning, I used to take my phone with me into the bathroom. I'm trying to not do that anymore, uh, so it is it is kind of an addiction. I'm just like, I'm just like sitting there being like, hmm, could have could really use my phone right now. I could respond to all these texts and everything. And I'm like, but you could also enjoy five minutes of peace first thing in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> that's true. I could do that. Uh, so yeah, that's been kind of nice. And yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. I'm, I'm keeping it light until I actually can start doing things that I would feel more productive about. But right now the aim is just on building good habits. Yeah. Sounds good. How about you? Well, I, on the weekend, purged some more stuff from my apartment, which I always enjoy. So I don't even know if that counts as doing better, but it's a thing I enjoy doing, and I always feel good afterwards. So as everyone heard, I shredded a bunch of documents, and that was great. Super cool. Uh, would recommend. And yeah, got rid of some more clothes. I found out that a place a block over from me accepts batteries for disposal. So that was great. Very convenient. So I got rid of some batteries I just had sitting around like I didn't know what to do with. Uh, wrapped up a bunch of interview stuff. 
So that's been nice because uh, I did something like 20 interviews in a month. I think it was, I had more, like multiple calls a day, multiple days. It was too much, exhausting. Uh, so anyway, I, I do have some, some ongoing thoughts about the potential benefit of just interviewing more frequently because uh, I think it helps highlight things that you don't have clarity of thought over, that sort of thing. But uh, I need a break <laughs> to reflect on how I feel about interviewing. I said I was going to play some more 1v1 in Rocket League, and I did that. And I made sushi again. This is my Thanksgiving plans were make sushi again. Uh, so I did that, and it turned out a lot better. So my I learned a lot from the first time I made it. The first time I started the rice way too late, which meant that it was still really hot when I was trying to make the sushi because I left it for probably an hour to cool down. That was not nearly enough. Um, just because I hadn't, I didn't realize how long th things would take versus not take. So this time I got it started at like noon with the plan of eating at three, three thirty, something like that. So I had plenty of time for the rice to cool, and my ratios were a lot better. I made fifty percent more rice than I did last time. So and and the hunk of tuna they gave me was only. 460 grams instead of 600 and whatever it was grams last time. So much more sane amount of tuna, even though I still had a bunch of sashimi left over for the next day, because there was no way I was eating a, a filet of salmon and 600 and some, or 400 and some grams of tuna in a day. But ending up with some, some much better looking sushi. The rice ratio is still a problem. I don't know how to get thin enough, but I'm working on it. And it was fun. The only thing I have for Do Better uh, for this episode is that I'm going to be spending a couple of weeks with my family pretty soon. And so my Do Better is going to be just like trying to, you know, be a good son and a good, a good brother and all that, which is a big commitment because, uh, you know, I live, I live on the other side of the country. So I don't really have to worry about all those things. It's just like, yeah, I call them from time to time, text. It's easy. But I actually have to see them, be around people. And that's a lot more of a commitment. So I'm like, that's about all I'm going to commit to at this point. Uh, again, not saying exactly when I'll be there, but it's coming up. And so I'm going to have to have to do that. So that's the only thing, only thing I got. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite all-time like spiritual quotes is some do some like really enlightened whatever person was just like whenever you feel like you've spiritually realized spend one week with your family or like help or help a friend move either or those things and you'll very quickly realize you're not as in control of your emotions and uh spirituality as you thought you were i'm that weird guy that actually just like asks if people need help moving <laughs> but the family one i can relate to I'm going to yeah. need a, a, to decompress after family. The, the break from the break, as people like to say. Yes. Yeah. Well, I hope it's, it's good. Thank you. I hope so, too. <laughs> but, yeah, that's all we have for good. Tell your friends. Tell your friends to tell their friends. Of course, since you don't hear about Git, you're really cool and want it. you probably have a lot of friends. So, you know, friends help friends get good. That's what I say, always. Yeah, you say almost constantly. Bye. Bye. <laughs>